Welcome back to Who Are You, a CSI podcast. I am Lauren, and I have seen CSI through and through around three to four times. And I'm Nick, and I'm experiencing these episodes for the first time. And today we are reviewing Season 1, Episode 8, Anonymous. Uh, Director is Danny Cannon. Writers are Anthony E. Zeiker and Eli Talbert. Original air date of November 24th, 2000. And I'm I'm going to be curious to hear your scale, because we... Oh. Our intro is just full Vegas strip. Yeah, so I gotta tell you, this was there's a bit of challenge in this one. Okay, okay. So my the general gist of the scale is how long the intro is, but also how many different Vegas okay. scenes they show, right? Okay, okay. And like a lot of times they'll like be showing the strip, they'll cut to another angle. They did this weird like zoom in enhance thing where they just kept like jumping in to like a deeper part of the same frame yes i think they're trying to sort of like be like he's in this hotel so we're gonna like you know like we're bringing you into the scene or something and so i i kind of made a judgment call and i counted that as like several cuts it's just like two scenes instead of just one which is which is is probably a pretty important for the overall calculation but and i think the final results is is accurate this is a three out of five it's kind of kind of in the middle that's what we we should yep. think about a five. It's like, yep. I think, uh, I also think that this is where I think the appropriate amount of Vegas is. It was 15 seconds. Okay. Anything more than 15 seconds, we're getting a little long here. Yeah, getting a little long. Yep. And it was basically two-ish scenes. You know, we saw the script, strip, and then we sort of like panned somewhere else, and then we were in the hotel room. And so. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we move on over to the hotel room where a man is pouring uh, a drink for himself. He looks, I put downtrodden. That's how I described this gentleman is that he looked downtrodden and he walks into the bathroom. He wipes the mirror. It has condensation on it. He wipes the mirror down and then we hear a door open or that's what it, that's what I assume we yeah. hear is we hear he a like, door open and he reacts to it. Yeah. He like turns his head like he yeah wasn't expecting someone yeah he looked very defeated right like he didn't have a good day you know lost all his money well no we come to find out later that the only reason he's in the hotel room is because his house is getting fumigated so maybe he's like really bummed about his house being fumigated (laughs) we then go to grissom in the hotel hallway and jim brass tells him that he's gonna love this he goes into the hotel room he meets jim brass jim brass tells him he's gonna love it and they realize that it is Royce Harmon, our victim from episode one, all over again. Yeah, as and soon as as soon as we had like a guy in a tub, I was like, "Oh, is this the guy from episode one?" It's <laughs> a little on the nose. For those for those who have been listening to all of our episodes, in last episode, one of Nick's predictions was that the killer was the killer from episode one that they have yet to catch. Which not. turned out not to be true, but I had to bite my tongue and not tell Nick that the very next episode he gets introduced back. Yes. I was like, I'm not going to say it. I'm going to let Nick come to discover this one on his own. Yeah. That turns out not to be the only thing you were sleeping on, not telling me about. There's quite a few things that I, which I will get to because I want to admit something where I totally misremembered the order of, of these episodes. So oh, cool. they find the tape recorder and they play it. Jim Brass is like, is that Swedish? It's obviously somebody talking backwards. It's obviously somebody talking backwards. So they play the recording. It's somebody talking backwards. And then Grissom needs a few moments alone in the scene. And then he has this very dramatic, I had to take note of this. 
He has this dramatic, he looks into the mirror that the, the guy had just wiped and was like, you're back. Are you, did he say you're back or you again or whatever? Yeah. Was, you're back. That, at least that's what I wrote down. <laughs> I don't think the first time I saw it, I understood what he meant. I think it was like self-aggrandizing. I don't know. I, I know at that point it was the guy from episode one. So maybe I, that's what I thought. Yeah, maybe, yeah. I was like, they were just really laying it out there this time. So we go to credits. We go to Nick and Work playing a video game. And I have a, a product placement here. Oh, okay. I, I couldn't quite decide. So they're, they're playing this. First off, they're playing on a Dreamcast, which they mention. I think that was one of the OG, may have been the OG product placement I think it reference. was in the first or second episode. They, or, they, they very purposely mentioned Dreamcast. Like, are or, you playing XCOM yeah, on yeah. Dreamcast? Yeah, or it just felt really dated by it because... Yes. Dreamcast is, didn't it was a flash in the pan, so yeah, it, it, it felt it felt old really quickly. But they're playing some kind of football game, and it reminds me of like like a Madden football game or like a, you know I, I any of those two K sports games from that era. And I was like, but they didn't say the name of the sport. They don't actually say the name of the console. But he's very much holding that control. It's very iconic controller with the Dreamcast. It has a little screen yes. in the middle. And I was like, is that a continuation of the product placement before? Or just like someone on set really just like playing Dreamcast football? Yeah. Or, they, yeah. or they, they bought it for the other reference and then didn't want to spend the money on it, getting it. a different console. So they're like, Dreamcast this, it is. That's what they're going to be playing. I have I have quite the comment later about how the show has saved some money. I've, this is some money this episode. Oh, okay. I'm Which I, what, I, that's what I mess, actually messaged Lauren about this because I couldn't believe yes. it. Yes. Oh, but, oh it's amazing. <laughs> Guys are going to... I'm so glad that Nick is much better at paying attention to detail than I am because I never would have caught this. And I've seen this series multiple times and I never would have caught this. So they Grissom gives them a 410, a car over the cliff. There might be foul play involved. We pop on over to Grissom with Catherine and Sarah, and this is where we get the catch-up on episode one. Most likely for those, this is two parts. One, if someone missed the first episode and they have no idea about the Royce Harmon case, this is a nice Mm -hmm. brief, here's what happened with the Royce Harmon case. And then you also have to remember, guys, like this premiered in 2000. This was before streaming services. So even if you did see that episode, you saw that episode two and a half months ago, and you're probably not going to see that episode again until this series is in syndication and or gets released on DVD. So you have to remember that the, the watching experience is a little bit different than it is right now. So... They do a quick little, you know, the print came back to this prosthetic that this guy made. And and then Sarah gets to go dust the crime scene with Red Creeper, which is Grissom's, like, special make. Which, is that legal? Like, are you allowed yeah. to use, like, non-standard print dust at scenes? I feel like that's not I, I wouldn't, acceptable. I wouldn't want to be the prosecuting attorney. No. Where evidence was relied upon the non-studied one-off special fingerprint yeah, tests of, of the rando uh, CSI guy. Red Creeper, my own concoction. Wow. Yeah, well, serious case, serious print powder. Be thorough. Don't take anything for granted. Yes, sir. I did. I, you know, I just want to comment on one thing. The, the other thing that used to happen is, like, this is episode seven, so, like, or eight. I remember thinking... Like, it used to be sometimes there's a lot of things to watch. You don't know what's going to be good. You see ads. Right. People start watching something, and you would just jump into it. And, yeah, I didn't see the first three or four episodes. Right. And so, and so yeah, if the audience has grown, they probably expect a lot of people that this is they, – they missed the entire boat of that episode one. 
Yep. And as you said, like they're never going to see it. Something with that Red Creeper, though, I don't know what it is, but I, that some product that I've seen before at the mall or something that they repurposed for this scene, <laughs> and I couldn't place place it. But I was like, like that the canister, the whole thing. I was like, I was like, I was having that. I have this. I just have these things where sometimes it like rings that little alarm bell in the back of your head, yes. and I was like. Yes. The second watch through, I was like staring, staring at it. I was like, yeah, like no, come on. no idea what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So we move on to Nick and Warwick at the scene of the crash. There's nobody in the driver's seat of the vehicle. They do end up pulling, revealing somebody in the back seat. And Nick thinks that it is a, a DUI. There's a beer bottle, like still cold nearby. So he thinks that the, the driver bailed and it was a DUI situation. Yeah. They don't really we, cover it, but later they show there's like multiple more beer bottles yes. in that car, yes. and it was like I was like obviously he's like it's cold, it's got foam. It's like okay, well somebody was drinking in that car, right, right. You know, but you could be drinking in the back seat. I mean, if you're willing to drink in the front seat, you're probably not gonna, you know, yeah, the same kind of people. In the back. Yeah, the same kind yeah. of people drink in the back seat. And we then go to Catherine and Grissom with the coroner. They f- notice a uh, muzzle stamp on this victim, uh, Stuart Rampler. I had to jot his name down. Mm-hmm. And this is where Grissom confirms, which I feel like you, you would still need more evidence, but this is where Grissom decides that both deaths are homicides, both Royce Harmon and Stuart Rampler. This is the scene where he's like, he's like, now we know. Yeah, he's like, he's like, he's like, Oh, he's made his first mistake. Now he knows how we get the victim to the tub, and that yes. they're both homicides. Yes. Or something. Something, and I was. And I like, feel like we did not get enough data from the coroner for me to feel confident in that assumption. I was like, "Wow, Grissom is really just going running well, this, with this." This one feels a lot more like a homicide, right? It's very yes. sketchy. Because he had the bullet wound in his hand, which yeah. would show defensive wounds. Defensive wounds. Thank you. You know. Took like, me a why would too. you, if you were going to kill yourself, why would you yeah, it'd shoot all be yourself almost through impossible. your hand to then through, you know, it doesn't make any sense. So we go to Nick and Warwick on the road. They realize that the car balanced before the fall. We, Which I missed. And then I was like, how come they just assume this car is balancing on the edge and all their reenactments? And then I watched it. So I watched it and I went, oh. Like oh that's why that's why that makes sense. Which is actually important for one of like my notes later, where where I really where where I think I first nailed down. Well, I guess I don't actually actually accurately predict who wins the bet. uh, Okay. We haven't covered yet, but we have uh, not covered yet. Nope. And but that that a big part of it was like spoiler spoiler alert. There's a bet in this episode. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't seen the episode, I apologize. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead and watch the episode. I'm sure you're pausing this podcast, (laughs) listening to it scene by scene. That'd be a fun way to watch it. Episode. That could be cute. I'd be curious if anyone uh, has watched it. Watched it that way. Let us let us yeah. know. Yeah. Eventually, eventually, we'll do a, we'll do a whole DVD box set director's commentary. Yes. Once once we get through those series the first time, we'll, that's yeah. All. Just let us we'll get through all three hundred Yeah, all sixteen seasons. And I mean, again, the sixteenth season is like an episode, but it's fine. So we then see the reenactment from Nick's perspective of the Phantom Driver. So the driver you know getting out and basically leaving his buddy behind and warwick is coming back with the theory that there was a second car that this was a crime not an accident and then this is where the bet comes into play and Warwick says that he doesn't get out of bed for anything less than a bill 
a hundo Nick, or Nick something. Nick tried to do the fifty bill, fifty dollars, yeah. and he was like, "I don't get out of bed for less than a bill." So a hundred dollars is where the bet begins. I wrote, so it, I wrote, gambling work again. So yeah, he's I know, back he on the bandwagon. It. He's back on the bandwagon. They decided they decided it wasn't like a big deal, and they just he's gonna bet free Willie again. Yep. I guess I don't know. You probably know whether this continues to be a problematic behavior for him or not. You will, you will find out. But. We then go to Sarah at the hotel room. This is where they discover one of the bills that he was going to pay. The envelope has an upside down stamp on it. She then goes to print the bathroom only to find out that there's not a single print. It's sterile and the guy is a pro. What a waste of red whatever it's called. Pro- again, probably for the best because Maybe. Any, d- any attorney would have been like, we can't accept these fingerprints because you or, you captured them using some random concoction that you made. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you this. If you were doing your job and, you, and, you, and your boss was like, don't use a thing that we're supposed to be using. Use this other product. And then it didn't work. Wouldn't you be like, just out of curiosity, let me break out the real stuff. <laughs> right. Let me go back over this with actual printing dust and see what happens. Just, just in case, maybe Grissom's special concoction, not that special. Maybe that was the product placement for the episode. Maybe they were going to sell oh, one the additional Creeper. CSI Red Creeper That's that you hilarious. could like dust your own fingerprints with. Someone's going to send us an eBay listing for it. It's not look, great. It looks like Manic Panic uh, hair dye. Oh, gosh, Manic Panic. I, I have some of that in my house, actually. We, we pop on over to Grissom and Catherine with Mrs. Harmon. They let her know that they think that the person who killed her son has killed again. They also let her know that the second recording was confirmed to be the second victim. Oh, so nice. his girlfriend confirmed that the the recording is him. Mrs. Harmon still contests that the, the original recording was not her son, but she does present Grissom and Catherine with a talking picture frame so they could do a comparison. She was, by the way, very adamant in that first episode. That it was not her son. That is not my son, right? And, like, the whole opening of that case beyond being anything but a suicide is predicated on her making that claim. We would... They would never even... I mean, maybe they would have connected the two at this point because of the other similarities, but, like, it never would have been on the big fish board. Right, right. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, it's, I, I, I assume that this is more to do with them being like, all right, we've got to do something with this other thing, and maybe we've backed ourselves into a corner and we want to change it up a little, or, you know, it's yeah. just different, right? Yeah. Because, like, yeah. also, the, who is that voice actor from last time? We're not going to go out and pay that guy to be an actor right, on a TV show. Yeah. Right, so, like, we have to find a way to do, like, a switcheroo or something. Like, we, it can't be the voice of the killer because we've already chosen who that person is. It doesn't sound anything like that, right? Yeah. Although I do have another note on this later where I was so confused when we okay. get to the, the voice matching. The voice thing. matching thing? Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll get there uh, pretty soon, actually. So before then, we go to Nick and Warwick at the hospital. They find out that their victim is sedated. He won't wake up for 12 to 24 hours. They also realize that he, even though he has like tan lines, he has no watch, he has no ring, he has no cash. And Seriously. this is the first raising of the bet. So now the yeah. bet moves from $100 to $200 as Nick and Warwick kind of debate their theories in this guy's uh, hospital room. It's good to see series regular Ask of Mondi again. Yes, Ask of Mondi. <laughs> series regular third again. episode. Yep, I very purposely um, was like, not going to say Spot the Guest Star because not Spot the Guest Star. Yep. Uh, I hope you guys appreciate the music I added to the last episode. Uh, I haven't listened to it yet. So. 
I typically candles. listen to our episodes, but we we released pretty close to the recording of this one. Yes, we released. I, I released it this morning, so yeah, yeah. yeah so we're releasing had, releasing and recording in the same day because my schedule is crazy this week, and then yeah, we're just you obviously have the pig ro- and then you have the pig roast on yeah. Saturday. So I figured that later in the week would probably be really difficult for you. Yeah, so one note I do have is that I had to write down who wouldn't have cash in their wallet. What a bizarre society we lived in in 2001. I don't think I've had, unless I'm going to something very specific, I don't think I've, I've had cash in my wallet for the majority of the last 10 years. I agree. The only reason I have cash on my wallet right now is twofold. One, I took some out for my recent vacation. I was like, oh, it's always mm-hmm. good to just have some cash on you when yeah, you're on vacation, like just in case. So I took some cash out for that. Technically, this guy was traveling, so it yes. may be one of the one few times I would also have cash yep. if I was going to Vegas. I probably wouldn't have got. I probably would have got it at the like an ATM in Vegas, and then I probably would have also lost it all at the roulette table. So I would probably right. be without cash. Cash again. Yes. <laughs> again. Yes. But and then yeah, I'm also getting a tattoo, kind of and I need to I need to tip my tattoo artist. So I purposely got cash out so I can tip my tattoo artist. Tip your tattoo artist. I got I got cash to play the lottery. Because you need cash to put a lottery still. Really? Well, I think you could pay the debit card now, but like I'm just oh, so okay. used to it. But I, I think we're like nine hundred million dollars and like seven hundred million dollars. I typically don't give the lottery a second look until it's over half a billion dollars. I mean that's fair. That's fair. Once the payout is like mathematically greater than the odds, mm. then I'm interested. Then you're interested. Okay, that's fair. That's and, fair. Uh, so we go to Sarah in the lab. Sanders is letting her know that he needs a comparison for the DNA, which I think we're led to assume is from the stamps, like the licking of the stamps. Yep. So they did not oh, get yeah. self they did they not have, get self sticking stamps. They they, they got they got well, licky stamps. This is two thousand and one, you still have to lick your stamps. Two thousand. Two thousand. Uh they do show her, right? She puts like the stamp inside like a petri dish with some water. Yep, yep. And then she pipettes the tiniest amount of water into a vial mm-hmm. and then they put it into a machine that they're gonna in the early days of DNA, apparently get enough information from that. Yes. I love that Sanders has... Sanders, no. Not Xander. Uh, I said Sanders. I know. <laughs> but uh, I love that he's like, oh, I have this guy's DNA profile loaded up. Oh, you know, already. Right? Ready to go. <laughs> so fast. And so I started thinking about it. I wrote down a note about the CSI effect. I said, this is what's so interesting about this, is that these are things that people, that we can do. Like, all the stuff they're showing us, it's not, like, magic. No. It's not science fiction. It just needs to happen quick for the TV show. And all I could think is, like, could you imagine, like, if you were filming a show, a movie or something, and they were like, oh, we have to get this MacGuffin over this river. John, you used to work in construction. Build me a bridge by the end of the day. Right. right. <laughs> like, we can build bridges, people. We know how to do it. Yep, we can do it. We have the if technology. Ever, we have if, the you've ever, if you've ever driven a car, you probably have a lot of experience with how slow and crazy it can be. But even greenfield construction or nothing existed before and you don't have to worry about traffic it takes a long time to do these things and it's and i think that's like the best part of the csi effect is like it's not magic it's just time travel yes it's time travel. <laughs> they're doctor who yeah so they realize that the upside down stamp is an unknown dna profile it does not all the other ones match the victim the upside down one does not so we then go to our other storyline with nick and warwick examining the car Nick is super gluing the entire car and then reveals prints on the steering wheel, which, I mean, yes, good that there's prints on the steering wheel, but it's a rental car, which I think they've mentioned at this point. And obviously somebody 
drove yes. the car. <laughs> Somebody, we oh, know it wasn't like, this is not Tesla. This is not auto driving cars. They drove it like a gopher, though. It's just like, they had the <laughs> 10 fingerprints were just like on this top of the yes. steering wheel. <laughs> Isn't that how you drive? That's how I drive. <laughs> and we then go to Catherine and Grissom in the hallway. And this is when Grissom is telling Catherine about Disco Placid, who does audio comparisons. I really hope this is a series regular, although I did make a note that, like, didn't they have a whole audio voice comparison thing they did in another episode already? Yes. And they did and not go like, to Disco now, Placid for it. But now they, they have to go to... It was in-house. Now they have to go to Disco Placid. Yeah, I think it was the kidnapping Placid. episode, the, the, yes. the baby on the phone. Yep, the boot, fake. Yeah, yep. the fake kidnapping. And then we go to Disco Placid Studio. He is smitten with Catherine. And again, Grissom is left there super confused, not understanding what life is. Yeah. Like, doesn't get what's going on, even though it's blatantly obvious that the two of them are having a mutual, like, hey, how are you doing sort of thing. Grissom's just like, audio, right? Like, can't we talk about audio? And so they show the voice comparison on the screen. Disco Placid is comparing the I love yous from both pieces of the audio from Royce Harmon's. The, well, here's from the thing. From the recorder and then from the frame and then that... comparing them and then they match. So this is, is what's this what confusing. Yeah. Okay. So they okay. say, they say that, oh, this is the, like, I'm Stuart Rampler or whatever. It's the I love you mom, right? And then there's mm-hmm. the I love you mom yep. from the voice card. But if you look at the screen, one of them says Royce Harmon, and one of them says uh, Stuart Rampler, and then they come together and they line up, and the guy calls like it's Memphis Twins, he says or something, right? And I was like, this is so confusing because they're presenting it like it's the two audios, one from the card and one from the recorder, and that they're the same, and therefore it really was the guy's name. And the dialogue after also supports that. So yes. I think they changed something Maybe in they the editing here, Maybe right? They did. Yeah, and they definitely they definitely make it sound like it's matching the audio from the recorder to the talking picture frame to prove that the recorder is Royce Harmon. Yeah, so I think they did a reshoot with the mom to just be like, oh, we got to get a different actor. We got to yeah. do this differently, and and, and just how it changed their mind. But they had already spent the 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 expensive Winamp level uh, digital design budget. On matching up these two voice audios, so they, they were keeping it. They couldn't get rid of the one that says Royce Harmon on it. But if you go back and watch the episode, like the top line is like blue and it says Royce Harmon on it, and he matches up to the bottom line, which is yellow and says Stuart Stamper. And of course, the two colors meet again and turn into green, just like the other audio matchup they had done. So that made me think that Disco, whatever his name was, Placid. Placid. That was also part of the reshoot, and that maybe they had originally done this at the lab. Oh, and in order okay. to get the, they had to get new audio, so they just yeah, threw they this just... other thing in there. Right, also, like the whole theory. scene has, has a little bit of like an airbrushing to it, which often happens with reshoots, just to like make it work. So, as they're reviewing the audio, they also isolate crinkling in the background. They then play the Royce Harmon and Stuart Rampler notes at the same time, and you realize that they're reading from a script. So, they're saying, yeah. obviously, there's differences because they're saying they're different names. They're saying like, the different year that they were born in, how old they were. But otherwise, they're saying the exact same script. So, that's when they realize that the crinkling in the background is probably the killer holding up the script to have them read from it. We I like to go... think this guy who's like an expert in like, well, this is spoiler alert. This guy who's an expert in prop making couldn't make anything more than just like a handwritten pencil 
on a piece of paper like that's crumpled up and then he held on to it for three months between killings because <laughs> he didn't want to reproduce the same one and that's yeah. why it's the exact same audio <laughs> exact same audio couldn't couldn't be bothered hmm. we go to nick and warwick getting print results they find out that there is a blue dust in the print this comes back later which is why i'm mentioning it here we then go to sarah grissom and Catherine. Uh, I think in Grissom's office, they realize that the victims have the same birthday, different years, but same day. And Grissom thinks that what they've uh, what they've gathered so far, as far as like the backwards, like the upside down stamp, and then the backwards audio, is telling them that in order to go forward, they have to go back. Yeah. So there's this whole thing of the year. So it's like 1958, 19. The first Royce Harmon was born in 1958. Stuart Rampler was born in 1957. Yeah. So then Grissom sends her off looking for people in 1956, which was like, I guess I was sort of colored by, I think, the second watch through by like knowing the information. But like, if you were expecting to find something older, then they should have gone the direction that they turn, turns out they should have gone in, which is to go forward to 1959. And that we're moving back in years as we move forward in time. Yeah, yeah. And, and instead, he tells her to go look for 1956, which yeah. presumably she doesn't find anything. Yeah. And then we. Although get the... I want to know when Grissom's birthday is, because if he was born in 1956, that would on that date he would have. It would have been too weird for him not to say that's my birthday. Yeah, that's also my. That seems like really convenient. That's also my birthday. We then get Stewart's the results, uh, the print results back from his case. And there's two thumbprints overlapping. The bottom one comes back on the screen as clients, which we come to find out means that it is somebody internal. And it's Grissom's print. And somehow Grissom avoids any investigation. They just take his word that this is just a message from the killer letting him know that he has him under his thumb. No, no follow up yeah. needed. Don't. No, we don't need to explain how how his print got there. We just yeah. obviously Grissom couldn't have done anything wrong. They do they do explain where the print came from later in the episode. Yes, but that's still conjecture even when they get to it. Yeah, yeah. I also like can't help but like at that moment he's like, "How did they get your 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 print?" And I went roller coasters because <laughs> <laughs> there's that one scene at the end of the movies in the roller coaster all yeah. by his lonesome. Yeah crying for whatever reason information i don't know yet i guess and i was like his hands all over that roller coaster bar he could just pay the dude at the roller coaster to go in after the guy who just lets one person in there by himself unsupervised just wipe wipe it down let grissom in and then grab the print yeah he he probably used uh red creeper of his own he's probably got like purple creeper we then go to nick and work in the kitchen the rental car crazy enough comes back with lots of prints so that doesn't really help their case whatsoever and this they kind of work and nick go back and forth this is where they take it up to 300 work is giving his robbery theory we see a, a reenactment of this and then they realize that they need to go research the footprints and the tire tracks yep. to, to try to figure out their theories we then go to Grissom at the warehouse, and we realize that it's been a couple of months. So I know that sometimes, Nick, you like to know like what the time frame yeah, yeah, is. Yeah, so the last time you reference. saw Paul Melander was a few months ago. So this is there's a time reference here that it's been a few months since the last time he saw Paul Melander, who is working on a piece called Good vs. Evil. It's 
great and the rewatch i was like oh this this was this is some great direction like directing and yeah, yeah just to have that and like the way they show it the way they shot it once you know and you rewatch it it's so much better yeah. I will say that during the scene, I wrote down a prediction. I said, okay. is the Halloween guy the real guy? Because he still would have had to stage the one fingerprint with like the oil and the stuff, right? Right. But I was like, but I was like, I was like, it gets, that goes on and we'll get into it, but it goes on and he just has that a cheekiness about him at times yes. and like a pull i think the first thing he said that was weird was like oh i don't remember your name it's such like a power trip yes. if you've ever met that kind of person who is like yeah. that and i and i was just like oh th- something is different about this interaction and i i always i i still I hung up on this analogy to moriarty like i feel like they're they're drawing from that sherlock okay. holmes professor moriarty yep. like i think as inspiration moriarty often has that this interaction with sherlock holmes and depictions where where he knows and sherlock holmes doesn't know this is moriarty doesn't know who this person is yet doesn't know that this is his foe Right. right, and there's always this sort of like you know sizing up. And it's I was also like amazed by how much information Grissom gives away because <laughs> he's like, oh, how is that case going? He's like, yes. not good. So yeah, I'll let you I, keep get yeah. back to it. But it was I did have a prediction here that tur- turned out to be right. I, have, I basically another prediction coming up that also turned out to, out to be right. But both of these predictions, I would say I wrote them down and I would give them low confidence when I wrote them down. Yeah, so. like you were like. Mm maybe but not feeling great about it so they share a cup of coffee grissom is telling paul melander basically how jealous he is of him that he gets to like work by himself no one bothers him and he does ask about the the hand prosthetic again and paul melander's letting him know he doesn't have a list of distributors and this is funny enough i also wrote down giving way too much info on strategy why are you telling melander that you're gonna like how many days like he's like oh well i what i want the list because i want to look 10 days ahead you know 10 days before and see the credit card statements and this and that i'm like don't give obviously you don't think that he's a criminal but don't give a civilian like a random civilian (laughs) clues to how you plan to catch a killer here that's too much info that whole like oh i'm a distributor and chris was only or I'm a wholesaler, and Grissom was only asking for distributor names. Like, dude, you know who you're selling these things to. Yeah. You're not, you don't operate in a shop and, like, taking individual payments, right? Right. So, like, you give him those, he goes to those people, he gets names from those, he goes to stores, he gets names from those people, right? Mm-hmm. That's the process. I mean, they would do it all in 30 minutes because it's the CSI effect. Yeah. Yes. But, like, but, like, that's, that's how he would go, and he just, like, stonewalls them. And I was like, that's red flag number two. Yep. Like, and so I think that's actually the scene, the the exchange that made me write it down. Yeah. Was the whole pushing yeah, like, back. Oh, I don't know I, who I sold it to. I tried to figure out if I thought Grissom was onto it, but then he like gives him more information. And I'm like, no, Grissom is still, he really doesn't have the slightest idea at this point. No. Um, no. But he really should have. Yeah. I did, um, I just, to, just to, tell you something i did skip this earlier but at the very beginning of this episode i also wrote down a prediction that is very wrong oh okay but i i and i kind of forgot about it because obviously by the end of the episode you know it's not true but it was one of these things where like you know i talked about i bought lottery tickets the other day you know odds that i'm gonna win are very very small but if i did the payoff is very very big yeah so i wrote long long shot prediction dr jekyll mr hyde grissom is the serial killer doesn't remember killing these people 
that was not true unfortunately no that's not what happened but i was like i, I also kind of knew that wasn't true because i as far as i know they would have to wait many many seasons because yes i think he's on the show I, for a long time. yeah I, I i think like i've seen he's got hundreds of episodes on yes, imdb or something yes. so uh, it's like i know he's not he's not going away this season no no he definitely but is not i had to admit that sometimes i write down really crazy predictions too Hey, I'm I'm for it. Well, we I think go them. we go to Warwick looking at shoe prints. He finds a match. Nick rubs it in his face that Jimmy was able to run the treads and that it was done in three minutes. Which again, CSI effect. I don't think their computers would have been powerful enough in 2000 for that to run yeah. in three minutes. So Could they download identify... an MP3 play- file in three minutes. Yeah. So they identify the type of car, and lo and behold, Jim Brass lets them know that one was stolen last week, so maybe there's a lead on this case here. We then stay with Jim Jim Brass, but he's talking to Grissom, and he's letting him know that Stewart's card was used at an ATM, was used at an ATM withdrawal post-death, and Grissom wants a whole machine, and Jim Brass barely pauses. He's just like, yeah, okay, I'll get you the entire... don't don't worry about it i'm just gonna i'm just gonna get the authorization to take this like machine that weighs thousands and thousands of pounds and transport it to you don't don't worry about it man i mean they can do that again it isn't gonna happen today no right they're gonna have they probably have the crime they could have the crime scene cornered off they're gonna have to ask the bank they're gonna have to find somebody who can move it they're gonna have to find out where they're gonna put it you know i mean logistically it's gonna be a thing yeah and then really all they care about is the video at the end of the day yeah that's all they care about so it seemed a lot but you know again it's it's for dramatic effect we then go to nick looking over the victim's clothing and then we quickly move over to sanders and Warwick well, being in the picture some, as well so importantly he finds some blue yes dye on the crotch the weirdest yes. place yes it's like on his like belt like near his like belt loop sort of yeah like and... the top buckle on your fly yeah okay to me Okay, and so Sanders brings up like brings up the bet, and they try to like deny it, and then like catch themselves on a lie that they they have a pot going regarding this yep. case, and then we learn that the blue dust is pool cue chalk, and we learn because they run it through the same machine yes. Oh, yes. that they ran the DNA through. Yes, and oddly enough. I clocked this the first time. I was like, is that literally the same printout with the same graphs on it from the DNA scene? And so I took, I, I tried to take screenshots, but apparently the Paramount Plus is smart enough not to let you take a screenshot I'll, I'll and blocks sh- I'll the show, screen. I will show you there is a way yeah. to shut that off. Oh, well, I just used my camera. I just took photos okay. of my cell okay. phone because you can't, okay. you can't tell I'm using a cell phone. And I'm, that's, those are the pictures I sent to you. Okay. But we'll share but I the was pictures like, on our social I, media guys. And then I we'll rewatched I rewatched them. If it's one thing if they're just like, oh, have the printer spit out the same technical looking piece of paper, but I rewatched it like three times. It's the same shot. It's the same shot. Because it's because the, the the gradient on the film, that's may probably not the right word that I'm thinking of, changes. Like it doesn't look like it's the same scene. Yep. The light like the color enhanced the light yes. or something. Yes. I actually think the spinning machine part where the machine spins around is also the same scene but they've cut it differently so i like in one of the scenes you can't you can't see the whole thing yeah it's also weird because it could be refilming the same machine Mm -hmm. right they use the same act like that's one of the things like sander's hand is like he grabs the paper both times his hand's gonna look the same right he's gonna have the same lab coat on the same watch on the same right it's gonna be the same hand but like 
when you like i was like watching to see like when the paper like folds and like like all the the lights flicker and stuff and i was like this is the same scene i can't believe it and it's like they must have just only had so much b-roll ready for the editors yep uh we then go to nick and warwick debating their theories we see both of their reenactments played out and this is where they admit to each other that they like each other's theories that like both each of their theories could could work yeah oh i i I, oh yeah this is the scene i wrote if if work so this is where i decided that work was wrong okay because if work thinks some dude got it like pushed the car down the cliff like that's what was in his reenactment flashback. The they just they just fingerprinted the whole car. I know. I thought Where the same thing. I was like, would it be on the underside of the car? gloves on? Like they even yeah. show in the reenactment, his hands are just like on the bumper. Because yeah. it's high up in the air because it's up on this berm. And I was like, I was like, then that would happen. And I was like, okay, well, you know, plus they're like trying to lead you down the work path. So then I immediately want to jump down the Nick Stokes Nick. path. Yep. And so well, I, when we get to the resolution of the bet, I I, I have a couple more comments. But okay. uh, I, I, at this point, I wrote down, I think the guy climbed into the back seat and then buckled up in the back seat. Okay. Okay. Because the Bentley thing was already kind of weird. Weird, yeah. Yeah, I think they had already basically made that sound like it wasn't going to be a real thing. Yeah, they skip over that one pretty they quick. Also, like, like, it comes in and it comes right back out again. You know, you have this whole like uh, ticking time bomb, right, as well, where there's like, there's a guy who had, they said 24 hours, he'll wake up, and then yeah, he'll be able to tell you, yeah. he'll be able to tell you who's right and who's wrong. Yep. yep. And so, like, obviously, you know, they have to sort of figure it out before that happens. Yeah. Yeah. We then go back to what I would say is storyline A with Grissom, Sarah, and Catherine watching the ATM footage. It's of a fairly disheveled man flipping through pieces of paper, showing someone mm-hmm. holding a dove and either squeezing it too tightly so that it dies or not holding it hard enough and it flies away. And Catherine, again, with like very little background information, determines that the dove represents peace of mind which actually represents justice and that, this of... means, and that this means that he's going to keep doing these murders until he gets justice and that was a lot of mental leaps to make with like 10 flashcards that's some uh dnd party trying to figure out the plot yes. level jumps there yes. I, I, guilty as or, i mean like i make some bold predictions yes. for this podcast mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's my job yes her job is to be a little bit more evidence-based yes yes as they often say, follow the evidence. Yep. And yeah, that was it was crazy. I will say that even though I had already like kind of settled in on uh, Paul Melander, yes, as a potential suspect, there's a really really good hint in this scene that it is Paul Melander that I picked up on the second watch through. They show all kinds of sketch arch art in the back of his warehouse when Grissom is visiting him. Oh, and, and it's it like the, yeah, the, the style, style, the look. Yeah, yep. it's it's that it's it's all black line art on white paper, and it's very much it looks very similar. And so, if you do go back and watch the episode again, uh, key up on that. It's it's in the background. I I was the second time I was like trying to stare at it to see if there are any Easter eggs or hints, and then we got to the ATM scene again. And I went, oh my god! You're like oh, they've already oh, told you they've yeah. already they're already telling us yep. that he's the dude and it's like oh, so the, i think foreshadowing is one of the things this show is really good at 
Yes. They really put in some, and not just the things for the characters to pick up and find the story. I think for the viewers, there's a lot of great Easter eggs in these shows. And I, I, I always track that up to really good directing because a lot of times that stuff isn't in the script, but something like this might have been in the script. Right. But it could have also been a director being like, oh, you know what I want to have in this scene? I want to have art that's going to match the style that's later on when guys at the ATM. So like a keen-eyed viewer could pick up on it, right? And those like little things like make shows so much better. Yeah. I also think make them much more enjoyable to watch more than once. I agree. Because we watch, we watch, for those who maybe haven't listened to all our episodes, both of us watch the episode at least twice before we do this recording. So we generally kind of watch it through once just to have a regular watch through. And then the second watch through, especially myself, I take very detailed notes the second walkthrough so I can kind of guide our conversation. I feel like there's... Our second, I feel it's kind of interesting because, like, your first watch through, a lot of times it's just like just watching it, being reminded of the yes. show that you've seen several times. Yep. For me, I'm like experiencing the first time, so I often just try to like jot down the major things and like all my thoughts. Right? What are my what are the things that pop in my head? The things that I would say out loud if I was watching it with somebody, with somebody else. Yeah. And then the second watch through, I put in like the little stuff, but I also it's the first time I'm seeing it a second time, so it's the first time I know what's coming. And then it frames a lot of context for me, allows me to pick up on a few of these things to hopefully add to the to the to the viewing experience, especially for people. I, I assume hopefully a good number of people who are watching this, you know, they're big CSI fans. Like I think yourself, Lauren, and have watched the show more than once, yep. right? And they're yep. really interested in how other people perceive the show. But even if you're watching it for the first time uh, and you're sort of following along with me, it might be fun to go back and watch the episode a second time, maybe after you watch this podcast, because I keep being like, oh, if you do go back and watch I feel like this episode particularly, I keep going and saying, if you do go back and watch it, here's something I picked up on. So that could be a fun thing to yeah. uh, to discover. Yeah, for sure. We go to Jim Brass and Grissom in the interrogation room with the quote-unquote bum, which I hate that phrase, but that's that's how they refer to him. And this is a very quick scene where they order him a steak because he doesn't really want to talk unless he has a full belly. We then go to Nick and Warwick back at the hospital again because Mr. Bangler uh, has woken up. They both like are immediately pushing their theories. They're not even giving this guy a chance to speak. They're just immediately like, "Oh, I'm sorry you got robbed. Oh, I'm I can't believe that your your friend you know got in this accident and then left you behind." And then we see the true reenactment from Mr. Bangler's perspective, in which he is shammered at the pool hall yep he then gets into his car very drunk and it swerves to avoid hitting a truck he's teetering over the edge he your prediction is correct he climbs into the back seat buckles himself in and then tumbles over the side and this was a nice and i i want to i can't remember if this is around the time of this campaign there was a big campaign of like buckle up and i wonder if this was around that time that there was like a big push again on like seatbelt yeah. save lives a lot of, lot was of like, like, it was like buckling up really saved your life didn't it and they're like oh, oh yes it did and i was like i wonder if this is around the time that like laws were being passed that people like of, had to buckle up which for our younger audience you used to not legally be required to buckle up you could not buckle up and that was not something you would be fined for we have so i'm just remembering quick, if this is when this was happening or not i don't know we have we have click it or ticket in massachusetts it was around yes. that time yes. but i think a lot of states were yeah, we're doing yeah, that. So Give me one we realize that neither of them won. They I have a dog. So they decide to push on the bet. No winner, no loser. So you weren't incorrect that Warwick's bet was not correct because it was not correct, but neither was Nick's. Yeah, I wrote Nick should have won. <laughs> it was a DUI. 
It was right? a DUI, but there was no there phantom was no, driver. There was no the phantom, phantom driver. driver. Was the guy in the back seat? They they had a moment too where they were like, "What are you climbing the back seat and buckle himself in?" Well, it turns out that that That's supposition exactly was exactly what happened. Exactly. Yeah, what happened. The only thing that bothered me was that like if you were balancing on like a like a fulcrum, right? If you think of like mm-hmm. a scale, anyone's ever like had one? I, I mean, I say anyone. Depending on how old you are, you may never have experienced this. But, like, doctor's offices used to notoriously have these scales yes. with physical weights, and they would slide one them. Of my doctors, one of my doctors still has this. Yeah. And if, it's like, if, you sl- if you're if you perfectly balanced, and presumably the guy in the front seat is perfectly balanced, and you put all... He's a big dude. You put all that weight in the back seat. That car is probably no longer falling over the, uh, the front. Trick. Although, maybe... Again, I have to give some credence to maybe the notion of going in the back causes a tip. It tips forward. Wheels bounce, springs. Mm-hmm. Cars have springs, all sorts of ways to transfer energy. But I was like, I was like, but I also know that I'm impressed by how quickly this guy was able to buckle a seatbelt. Because yeah. the back seat of old cars, it was the hardest thing ever to buckle those seatbelts in the yes. back. Yes, it was. He, this it was guy, 100%. There was, I mean, it wouldn't be a story if he died. Yeah, it would have been a good story if he died. So, yeah, you know, yeah. we only that 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 didn't get turned into an episode. That was one of the other cars over cliffs. Oh, <laughs> what a common right. a common what was it, a four hundred six a common four hundred six four ten I think. Yeah, there's a four hundred six and a four ten this episode. I don't remember okay. which one. Okay. Which one is at the end of the episode and which one is the is this one? But yeah, it was a a common thing. Car over cliff. Yep. And this one, this one made the show because the guy was able to make the buckle. Yep. Just yep. in time. We go back to Jim Bratz and Grissom with the quote-unquote bum, and he starts describing the man who paid him to go to the ATM and flip the cards in great detail. And as he's describing him, you know, oh, he has like these deep-set blue eyes, narrow jaw black hair and then when he says that is like his bad complexion i do think that the first time i watched it that's i think i was already getting that it was paul melander but as soon as he said it, it, that he had a bad complexion i was like oh it's the guy from the spooky warehouse yeah. <laughs> like and then i like how like the very beginning of the scene it's like oh, how tall was he was he oh. this much taller like you're like they're gonna get nothing out of this guy and then he has like Perfect detail. Perfect this great, detail. Like great distinctive recall of mm-hmm. very iconic features yes. that really pinned down a person. Like you didn't you didn't want to lead with any of this. Yep. And we end the scene with Grissom getting very upset that he let him go. He like slams, like he basically yells in the in the interrogation room mm-hmm. that, you know, he Grissom, let him go and Grissom Grissom uh, compromises the case and he cuts off the star witness. Star yes, witness. with the stutter. With the stutter. I was like, oh, such a faux Don't pas. feed him information. Let him say what he needs to say. Yeah. Don't don't feed him information. We then go to a hallway walk with Jim Brass, Grissom, Catherine, and Sarah. This is when we find out that Sarah is going to search for info on Paul Melander while Grissom assembles a SWAT team, basically, to raid the warehouse. I love this scene. This scene is so... There's so many Gris- layers to these scenes. There's so many layers. And then we go to Grissom and Catherine en route to the warehouse with the SWAT team. Sarah's researching. She's on the headset. And this is when we learn that Paul Melander is killing men born on the same day that his father died because he thinks that his father's death which was ruled a suicide was a staged suicide but his testimony was too shaky to indict the two hotel workers that he believes killed his father so well, then we have little paul have... melander was there right so yes 
Yeah. So he's like the Paul boy's Mal- testimony. Paul Melander. Paul, yeah, Paul, Paul Melander knows what happened. Right? Yes. And so, yeah. Although, I, for there was a split second where I was like, wait, with the two guys he killed, the two security guards? And I was like, no. Because no. bir- that would just be so statistically impossible That'd for them to have those same birthdays. Yeah. Well, one year yeah. apart or two years apart. We have a little SWAT montage. Uh, we then realize that the, the warehouse is empty, which... With how quick the I, results came, who, he, he emptied this warehouse in, what, three hours? Who, how? Yeah, just think about, like, when, well, first off, he would have had to have a plant, right? Yes. So, step one, step one, have your moving company, your shadow moving I'm company, just, I'm just who saying, I, no I, one can track down. I'm just saying, Come, I just moved, and I hired professional movers for this move, and it took... The load-up wasn't too, too bad, but it still took, and I definitely didn't have, like, a warehouse full of props to move. That Grissom was just in. That Grissom was Hours just in. ago. It took me, it took the professional movers, like, at least two to three hours to move everything from my house into the truck, which was a lot less stuff than was in this yeah. warehouse. So, like, I get it. Okay, so you have, let's just say you have this plan, right? Because you're, you're expecting, you've yes. left a lot of clues. You're expecting yes. this to happen. Yes. Why? What, are we not tracking down this moving company? You no, know, we're not. We're not. That's not um, an avenue that we're that we're we're trying. This guy's not an arch villain. He doesn't have a bunch of thugs who do this for him that you can't right. find. He's a lone. He's a lone actor, as far as we yeah. are aware. Yeah, that was that was one of two loose ends that I have for this episode. The other one is they never come back to the DNA on the stamp, which right. presumably we just is know Paul Melanders. But yeah, right? we're we're. I think we're supposed yeah. to go back and kind of. But maybe it's not. Maybe, maybe it's Royce Harvitz. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> and the only thing that's left in the warehouse is an empty stool. On it is a note addressed to Grissom, but when they open it up, it's blank, and that Grissom interprets as meaning that they have nothing. So we have nothing. That's, yeah. what, he's, that's what he's saying. Mr. Mr. Forensics, you're not going to try like a solvent that's going to show a hidden ink. You're not going to no. try no. a special light that reveals a character. You're just like, oh, it must be blank. It's blank. It's blank because he's, he's you crawled around and he means looking for broken toenails, you know? <laughs> I, <laughs> Where's the broken toenails when you need them? But you can't, but you're just like, oh, no, that's just a blank piece of paper. It's, it, yeah, it's no nothing. real. It's nothing. Even though this guy, about it. yeah. We then go to Paul Melander at CSI headquarters. He's asking for Grissom. The woman at the front desk seems very confused. He just tells her to let Grissom know that a friend stopped by. He'll know, you know, who he means. And then the final shot is him looking at the camera, kind of giving a little wave slash nod to the camera, and then walking out of HQ. And then cut end of episode i like to think the receptionist after he's walking away thinks like grissom has a friend good for him good for him doesn't seem like the type to have a lot of friends doesn't have any friends as far as anyone else knows all right nick so what did you think about this episode anonymous we we also skipped over the random uh nod to the name of this episode i think we did sorry i did not write uh, that down sarah was sarah says it she says it, it, it when the, the DNA on the stamp comes back and they don't know who it is. She goes, anonymous. Right. Other than the, like, a handful of like complaints, you know, in terms of, terms of like the, the gaffes and, mm. and, 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 and stuff. I, the episode was good. I, I found the Warwick, uh, Nick storyline unfulfilling. Yes. Right. I, but I'm happy. I'm really happy to come back to this sort of teased out thing from the first episode and which is why i was like hyper focused on looking for details and hints and then kept picking up on all these weird things that made me think they must have they they must have had to reshoot stuff re-edit stuff for 
Right. What was probably comes down to we had one actor and then we lost that actor. And yeah, so, so how do we... Or, or like a writer in the writer's room said, but what if the killer is actually is the Halloween guy? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, and then yeah, we're like, you know yeah. what? I like that better than some other character we've never met. Right. And so then they're like, okay, we got to make that work, which means this other idea that we had six months ago when we wrote the pilot or a year ago when we wrote and filmed this pilot, like we got to move on from that. Right. Yeah. And so to that extent, I like to give it a pass, but I'm, I'm particularly very happy that they're moving back in the direction. Very light outside the primary storyline in mm-hmm. terms of like, there are really any personal things. I've, there are things going on. Like uh, this is like, again, feels like an episode that maybe was shot to stand by itself. Maybe they didn't know where it was going to fit in. Right. the schedule sometimes they shoot these yeah. episodes of, and like this order. could be number seven this could be number six this really feels like it would have been a great episode to air before the last episode yeah I can see for that. whatever reason yeah. and it wasn't but like i'm sitting here thinking like what's going on with Catherine's daughter and the family care that just wasn't brought up once Not during this episode or maybe this was supposed to be episode number two and that's why they had the sega dreamcast they referred to it episode oh, number one maybe Right, and then uh, it didn't, and then it got bumped later in the schedule. So they're like, "Well, let's just do some regular episodes before we, you know, have any sort of continuation of plot. Make sure people are watching yep. the show." And I was, you know, so that those were my various thoughts on the, on sort of the structure of the episode. But overall, the episode was fine. I liked the episode. Not my favorite episode. There were a lot of things in this episode that made me happy, but there yep. were also, I think, if a few. Th- there are a few crazy. Th- little crazier things i think i mentioned this before we started recording but i feel like this is the first episode where brass feels a lot more buddy buddy yes he does with the team right i, I feels, think he's been he's trending this direction fort. is my take on it that he's been trending towards the more yeah. friendly but he's definitely overall from beginning to end a lot more friendly in this episode yeah. which i want because i don't you don't you don't you it, don't want that conflict uh, just to have conflict you know other than uh <laughs> He says uh, Conrad Conroy Eckley is that that's the name of the yes, Conrad, Conrad Eckley. Conrad Eckley. Yeah. <laughs> when he shows him the life and death or good versus evil, yes, he goes, he goes "Oh, it reminds know. me of my daytime supervisor." Little quip <laughs> like, from Grissom. I was like, "That's his nemesis. He doesn't need yeah, brass need to be brass. to bring a foil of any kind." How about yourself? Yeah, this is not my favorite episode. This is like middle of the road episode. I think because I really don't like the Nick and Warwick storyline. Yeah. In this one. Just, it was very pretty. It was one of the weakest plots. Yes, and I think, like you said, it's unfulfilling. Like you don't, feel I, like, you're not like, oh, cool, that was like, like yes, I get that they like threw, I guess, a curveball in the sense that like neither Nick or Work are correct, and that's supposed to be the big reveal, is that like neither of them got it right. But I just kind of was like, Ugh. Even, and then even and I don't even know. that fact would have been fine, right? So like by itself, the fact that nobody was right doesn't matter. I think how they got there and the evidence that was available to you as a viewer along the way yeah. is in, in like the way they tell the story is really where it matters. On paper, I think the idea of there's a Nick and Warwick storyline and they disagree how a crime was committed and they have a competition the whole episode to figure out whoever came like in the writer's room, that person, Gold Star. That's yeah. a great storyline. But what they wrote down and carried out just didn't live up to the promise of that storyline. Yeah. And so that, in a lot of ways, makes it, like, even more like, yeah, oh, well. Yeah. You know, you missed yeah. your, you kind of missed the shot here. And it's like, you can only do that so many times. And so, like, presumably, you know, I, unless it's a running gag, which it could become one or a running storyline, where they have prop bets on crimes that are constantly competing to see who fills it. 
I was kind of like, oh, I was kind of disappointed that I didn't feel very invested in the story at any point. Yeah, no, I I agree. That's how I feel about it. The, the Royce Harmon one I liked a lot better. Like you, there were holes or there there was jumps. I shouldn't say holes. There's a few too many jumps for me to to really be like, oh, a plus on that Royce, like on the Paul Melander story. But it's yeah. it's fine. It's a middle of the road episode. I'm okay with it. It's just definitely not my favorite. But next week, we will be back with Season 1, Episode 9, uh, Unfriendly Skies. In the meantime, uh, you can find us on Facebook at Who Are You? Colon, a CSI podcast. We are also on Instagram, Twitter, and now Threads at I, Who Are You? CSI Pod. I joined or, Threads just because we were going to have a Threads sweet. account. Yeah. I, I resisted Welcome because you can't do it on your computer and you, ha- I yeah, have, you to have to do it on, do it on the app. Yeah. But it's also like trivially easy to do, which yes. I mean, it was it's smart cool. of them. Yeah. So we are now on threads. Uh, you can also send us an email. Who are you? Uh, CSI pod at gmail.com. But otherwise we will be back next week. No spoilers. No spoilers.